Amen, amen. Well, we are going through this series called Disciple You. So welcome to class. Amen. We're in Discipleship University. And today we're looking at the confession. We've looked at a couple of things, a couple of weeks, the cost last week, but today the confession. We're going to look in just a few minutes in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. And we'll think about what Peter says here to Jesus as he is uh, asked a question by Jesus. But before we get into that, what we understand is that what you believe affects how you act. Y'all with me this morning? What you believe affects how you act. So if you believe that you can go to Google to get the answers, you will ask it everything. You can ask my wife. She loves Google, <laughs> loves to ask Google questions. If, the, if you believe the electricity is working, then you will flip on a switch. If you believe that Duke is a good team, then you will watch it. If you believe that your favorite store has super prices, then you will shop there. You see, what you believe affects how you act. But sometimes Google doesn't understand your question. Sometimes the power is out. Sometimes Duke, believe it or not, does not win. And sometimes the store goes up in their prices. But today, what we're going to see in the scripture is how the disciples believed not in a something, but in a someone. And it affected how they acted. But here's the thing. This someone never disappoints. He never disappoints. And so this belief that the disciples had, this belief caused Peter to make a bold confession and it shaped his life. And listen, friends, it should also shape our lives as well. So let's see what this confession is. And let's ask as a disciple, is this my confession and has it really totally, completely affected my life? And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, starting verse 13, going through 19. And honor and reverence to the word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this for us this morning. We read these words. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, you have a message for us to hear today. Lord, maybe some have already heard part of that message in the worship this morning as we have come into your presence, and you have made yourself known. And, oh God, how we are grateful for you doing just that. We pray, Lord, that as we come now to this time where we break open the Word of God together and we walk through this passage, may you keep all distractions away from our hearts and our minds. Lord, that we may focus in on what it is that you would have us to hear and to understand. 
And that we would be able to answer this question that you asked, Peter, what, who do you say that I am? We would answer that in such a way, Lord, that it has affected us and continues to affect us and how we act and live our lives as believers. So, Father, I pray that you'd work in every heart and every life here today. Lord, for those who need to know Jesus as Savior, may this be that time. Father, may you give them, as you call them to yourself, the courage to make that decision for you. But also, Father, for those of us who know you, may it be a time of renewal in our hearts and minds to know what this confession means to us and what we say about who you are and how that affects how we live. And so, Lord, may you work in every moment in in which we share in just a few moments. God, I pray now also that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, you see the outline in your bulletin. We're going to follow that along as we look at this passage of Scripture, looking at this confession. And the first thing that we want to see here in verse 13, Matthew 16, 13, is that there is a confrontation. Jesus confronts the disciples. And we find in verse 13 where it says these words. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He comes into the region of Caesarea Philippi. Brothers and sisters, when the Bible tells us some things, sometimes we just sort of gloss over them and really don't get the gist of what's happening in that passage of Scripture. But we need to understand that there's nothing that happens by coincidence in the Word of God. And so as we look here at this verse of Scripture, we find that Jesus comes into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He's with his disciples. Now, it's not a coincidence now that he's in Caesarea Philippi. As a matter of fact, it's the only time that the Bible records Jesus traveling there, going out of the way. So it's about 30 miles or so away from the center of his ministry there in, uh, around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, but he, he moves out, and the disciples go with him, to this place of uh, Caesarea Philippi. Now, why would he do such a thing? And, and especially now because he's coming to ask this question. He knows what's about to take place. And so it is the climac- a climactic moment in the Scripture here where Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am here in just a few moments? And so as we come now to this, this come to Caesarea Philippi, we find that this city, this village of Caesarea Philippi, is a city that is built on an, a majestic rock formation. It's on and against this majestic rock formation. It's a huge rock fortress type of area, a big rock area. And this in the middle of this area, there's a, there's a cult center for the worship of a false god by the name of Pan. And so carved into the mountain of rocks here are many little uh, sort of outlet type things where there's a, a, a god has been, has been carved into the mountain. So there's a lot of false gods, uh, some toward uh, Pan, some other false gods there. But they're carved in this mountain of rocks that are there. And so here in, in this area of this city that has all of this in the rocks, this is where Jesus brings the disciples and he comes there and he says to the disciples, maybe he has them sit in a circle or something, but he goes around and he asks the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He asked the disciples, so, so who, who am? Well, who do people say that I am? And so then in verse 14, we see that it says, So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So 
Obviously, the word that was getting around about Jesus among the people was not anything other than that he was thought to be someone other than the Messiah himself. Anybody but the Messiah. They, this is who you are. This is who people say you are. And so Jesus then replies in verse 15. Okay, so he asked him who other people are saying that he is. And they say, okay, well, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, other prophets. Okay. And Jesus says, okay, but who do you say that I am? Uh, that's a question, right? Who do you say that I am? Not who do you think I am, not who you believe I am, but he wanted to know who do you say that I am. You see, Jesus is looking for an answer from these disciples. He is looking for what it is that they would profess with their mouths about who this Jesus is. You see, this moment is a stepping over the line moment. It indeed is a climactic moment in Scripture as Jesus Ask the disciples, but who do you say that I am? This is very important. Very important for, the, for Jesus to know and for the disciples to say who they say he is. Who do you say that I am? Because how you answer that question would shape their lives. How they would answer that would shape their lives. And brothers and sisters, listen. Jesus also confronts us with the very same question today. He looks directly at you today and he says to you, who do you say that I am? And how you answer that question also shapes your life. Amen? I mean, who you believe Jesus to be, if you claim to be a disciple of his, who you believe Jesus to be, absolutely revolutionized and, and shapes who you are and how you act and how you think and what you do. It shapes your life. Now, just as then, there are different opinions about who Jesus is in that day, of course. And in this day, Jesus was just a good teacher or Jesus was just had good ideas or Jesus was a, a good example that we need to follow. Or he is a great guy, I'm sure, but he's just a good friend, but that's it. And so today, he isn't asking you, what do other people think about who I am? He confronts each of us, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And so who is this Jesus? Who is he really? And are you basing that on what other people think? Are you basing that on what others expect you to think or what you know to be true? What do you know about this Jesus? Who do you say that I am? And so Jesus confronts the disciples with this question, and Peter, likely on behalf of the other disciples, then makes a second point, a declaration. We find it in verse 16. Simon Jesus, Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow. Let me tell you what, that is a theologically rich declaration and a confession. It is powerful. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. As a matter of fact, as Peter speaks this, the word you is very emphatic. He is saying you, 
only you. No one else but you. This is who you are, Jesus. This is who you are. You, Jesus, are this. And who is it that he says he is? He says first that you are the Christ. You are the Christ, meaning that you are the Messiah. Jesus, you are the anointed one. And as Peter, listen, as Peter utters this confession that you are the Christ, he is attributing to Jesus all of the Old Testament fulfillment coming up. He has attributed to Jesus all the hopes and all the promises and all the prophecies and all the messianic honor of the entire Hebrew scriptures. And he is saying to Jesus, Jesus, you are the fulfillment of all the prophecies. You, Jesus, are the promised one. You, Jesus, are the king. You are the savior, the king who has been promised. Many would dismiss him, and some maybe do today. But Jesus cannot and should not and would not be dismissed as just a miracle worker or a good teacher or a prophet. Peter says, he is the Christ, the Messiah. So Peter was saying that you are the fulfillment of all the prophecies, Jesus. Everything that we have waited for, everything that we have longed for, you are that person, the Christ, the Messiah. Knowing also that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus, you are the Christ. But not only does he say that, you are the Christ, but you are the Son of the living God. Now remember where he is. Remember where Jesus has brought these disciples. They're at this big rock formation. There are a lot of false gods, false deities that are embedded in the rocks there. And obviously they have seen it or are seeing it while they're there. And Peter says, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, when you look at that, it says, says it this way. You are the son of God the living one. You're the son of God, the living one. You're the son of the God who is living. Not the son of a God who is dead, but you're the son of a God who is, son of the God who is the living God. So Peter is acknowledging Jesus' deity as the son of God and that he is the God who lives. As opposed to what he has seen in that rock formation of these false gods. You are the God, the Son of God who lives, opposed to these dead deities of that day carved into that rock. And brothers and sisters, he is the God who lives as opposed to the dead gods of our day. He's the living God. You can just sort of imagine Jesus taking his disciples there to the base of that rock and they're seeing these dead idols these idols that are up there that have no breath no life they can do nothing and jesus saying who do you say that i am and peter saying you're the son of the living god not a dead god the son of the living god can you imagine if jesus were to take you today by the hand and take you to a place Not to Caesarea Philippi, but to a place of dead idols. I wonder, what would would we see? 
as he took us there. Maybe, we're, maybe even wondering where, where would he take us to see these dead idols today? I wonder. Maybe he would take us into our own homes instead of to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And what would he show us as we would stand in our homes? What would he show us that are the dead idols of today? Maybe he would show us our bank account. Maybe he would show us our sports memorabilia. Maybe he would show us our clothing or our social media or our video games or our luxuries or our preferences. Or maybe he would just simply stand there and show us a mirror of ourselves. Because it has been said, friends, that today's idols are more in the self than on the shelf. Amen? What would he show us? You see, there would be idols that we have has, has preferential treatment above and above, above and beyond the Lord Jesus in our lives too often. These are the dead idols that we would worship and go after daily. Jesus would show us these idols, and this is what, the, what we would need to understand is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And these idols, these false idols, cannot offer us hope. These idols do not offer complete and eternal satisfaction. These idols do not free us, brothers and sisters, but rather they often enslave us. These idols do not offer us life. They often destroy us. Jesus says to us, as you look around your life today, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the king of your life? Is he the Christ? Is he the son of the living God? Is he truly the Lord of your life? Do you believe him to be the Christ, the son of the living God? Y'all with me this morning? He is, listen, Jesus, this Jesus is unlike these dead idols and the dead gods of today because he is the Christ, the son of the living God. God. He is, listen, He is the living God. The God who lives. And as the living God, listen, He still has the power to change and transform lives. We heard from Brother Went this morning how God is continuing to do miracles in where they are. That is a, that's not a dead idol God. That is the living God. Amen. It's the living God who is working and who can still work in people's hearts and lives. He still has the power to change and transform people's lives today. Working miracles. We, we hear the story about the miracle of, of what he has done in the well and how he's done things and bring lame to walk. And these are fantastic miracles. But the greatest miracle is when he touches a person's heart and changes them from dead to life. That's transforming a life. And Jesus has that power. God has the power to change people. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He has the power to save to the uttermost. What a God we serve. Amen? What a God we serve. Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? This week, I was texting back and forth with someone talking about this very passage of, of Scripture. This confession that Peter says, who do you say that I am? And this person answered and said this. The answer to the question never changes who Jesus is. But instead, it changes who you are. 
Amen? I won't tell you who said that, but Andy Kuhn might be his name, all right? (laughs) The answer to the question never changes who Jesus is, but instead it changes who you are. Man, that's so true, isn't it? And Jesus hears this confession and he replies with a revelation. This is the third point, with a revelation. And look at what that revelation is. Peter just has said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in verse 17, Jesus gives this revelation. He answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Well, he has revealed this to you. Here's the revelation. You didn't get this by flesh and blood, but it's been the power of God. So how did they come to the confession of who Christ is? Obviously, all the other people were saying other things about who Jesus is. So how is it that you come to this point that you understand who Jesus is? It's not by flesh and blood, Peter, but rather this has been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. Who, by the way, my Father in heaven, well, he's the living one. Amen? My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. means that he is active. He is living. He's revealed something to you. So no one was able to tell you this, Peter, but this is supernatural knowledge that you have here. You see, friends, Peter could not have grasped the full significance of what he had just uttered. So how is it that Peter come to this realization? It was revealed to him by the power of God. And brothers and sisters, that's how we have come to know Christ as well. We are drawn to him and understand truly who he is by the power of God. The Bible says in John 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's what the Bible says. It's the power of God that does the saving. It's the power of God that does the drawing, that works in the hearts and lives of people. I love what A.W. Tozer, a preacher from way gone past, way days in the past, said this. He said, before a man can seek God, God must first have sought the man. And that's how God works. It's by the power of God. Then also, just as this knowledge of who Jesus is has been revealed to Peter by the Father, now Jesus also reveals to the disciples here as to what he will do. What he will do. So what is it that Peter, that rather that Jesus says that he will do now as he has this revelation in verse 18 and 19, he reveals this has not come by yourself or by flesh and blood, but it's by the Father who's given this to you. Verse 18, he says, And I also say to you, That you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what is it that Jesus is saying here is he's revealing to the disciples that he will do. And what he's saying that he will do, now get this, is that he says that what he will do is that he will build his church. Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build it. Now, as we come to verses 18 and 19, when I say that there are a whole lot of views about these two passages, that would be an understatement. Many, many differing views and opinions about these two passages of Scripture. But I think there's some things that we can, we can gain from this. Jesus uses a play on words here. Remember now, think about where he is. There's this massive rock formation. The rock, the area is rocky. And so he has Peter here, and he says, he says I, I say to you that you are Peter. The word there for Peter is Petros, which means a rock or a stone. 
as distinguished from the big rock, okay, the mass of a rock. And on this rock, which the word is Petra, so it goes from Petros to Petra. So this rock, Petra, this mass of rock, this ledge of rock, on this rock, I will build my church. So he's saying, Peter, you are a stone, but on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. So the question is then, what is the rock? What is this rock upon which Jesus will build his church? Is it upon Peter himself? There are some, especially among Catholics, who believe that's what he, he's saying here. We, I do not believe that. Is it the confession? Or is it who Jesus is? Well, actually, it's, a part, it's really all of the three culminated together. So here is the, here's what Jesus is saying, where he will build his church. He is saying, I will build my church on the gospel. That's what he's saying. I will build my church on the gospel. What's the gospel? He's building his church on the message of who Jesus is. The Christ, the son of the living God. He will build his church on that message of Jesus that is revealed to people by the power of God. And his, this message, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, revealed to people by the power of God as he uses disciples like Peter to share that with other people. Upon this gospel and using us as his instruments, he builds his church as he draws people to himself. Jesus will build his church. It's his church. Jesus will build his church. So Jesus has given Simon the new name of Peter, which means a stone. And everyone, the Bible tells us, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, confesses him as the Son, the son, and God and son of God and Savior, is a living stone. In 1 Peter 2, 5, it says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are part of the building of the church. And so he is using us as stones. We constantly are helping to add as he he builds his church. We get to take part. But he is the one who builds the church. He said, I will build my church. And brothers and sisters, he is doing that. He is building his church. He is the architect. He is the builder. He is the owner and he is the Lord of the church, he says. And we know that to be so. And he goes further there and he says, And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. What does that mean? Well, the gates of Hades, remember where they are at Caesarea Philippi. And I mentioned a minute ago that there was this false god by the name of Pan who was there. This Pan, Pan was this god, was one of the few gods who evidently who could cross over into the abode of death known as Hades. All right? And then returned earth. That was the, the belief about this God, this false God, little g God. And so as a result then, this site of Caesarea Philippi was recognized as the gate of Hades in that day. As well as the gates were symbols of control and power, sort of like our town hall or our city hall. And so the gates of Hades then, or the gates of the abode of death, then would symbolize the organized power of death and Satan. But what Jesus is saying here, he says, on this rock, the gospel and all that entails, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of the abode of death, shall not prevail against it. He is saying that by what he is about to do, by his death and his resurrection, he will conquer death forever. He will storm the gates 
and deliver the captives. Friends, that's who Jesus is and that's what he has done. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes in verses 55 and following, he says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? O death, O boat of death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But watch this. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory has been won over the abode of death. By Jesus Christ on the cross and at the empty tomb. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Inasmuch then as the children are partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death, Jesus, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus has defeated death. His, he is building his church. And he, do, he has, he does, and he will prevail. So listen, friends, no matter how much hand-wringing that we may do because of the situation in the world or in the churches as we look out into the newspapers, we need to understand this. The true church, the true church built up by Jesus himself, made up of true disciples, will prevail. Because it's his church. And he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Y'all with me? The son of the living God. And so here's a quote from J.C. Ryle in his commentary. He says, look, talking about the church, nothing can altogether overthrow and destroy the church. Its members, listen, its members may be persecuted, oppressed, imprisoned, beaten, beheaded, burned. But the true church is never altogether extinguished. It rises again from its afflictions. It lives on through fire and water. When crushed in one land, it springs up in another. The Pharaohs, the Herods, the Neros have labored in vain to put down this church. They slay their thousands and then they pass away and go to their own place. The true church outlives them all and sees them buried each in his turn. The church is an anvil that has broken many a hammer in this world, and it will break many a hammer still. The church is a bush which is often burning and yet is not consumed. Jesus builds his church. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then he goes in verse 19, he says, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So what are these keys to the kingdom? Well, keys are a sign of authority. A person who's got keys to a building, that's a person of authority. They seem to know what they're doing, right? I need a key. Well, you need to go see Brother George because he knows what he's doing, right? It's a person in authority. And Miss Paula may not agree with that, but we agree. He's a man of authority. So this person who's in authority. Keys are a person who... Sign of authority. Now, the key in that day was a trusted steward kept the keys to his master's possessions. Jesus here would entrust Peter with this message of salvation to both Jew and Gentile. The key. The ult- and then ultimately, then all disciples would have that same stewardship of the gospel. So as the gospel is proclaimed, that's the key to the kingdom. And as people come to know Jesus, they are loosed from their bondage. And if they reject him, they continue to be bound. Amen? Amen. The keys to the kingdom. So, 
Peter says he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. How can we know? How can we know that this is who Jesus is? How do I know that he really is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Because if that's who he is, then it's going to affect everything about how I believe, everything about how I act, everything that I say, what I'm going to do with my life. Because if he really is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then that affects my whole life. What gives him the authority then to say also that he will build his church and that the church will be unstoppable? And that even the power of death and Satan cannot overcome it. Well, in verse 21, we go a little bit further in that chapter. In verse 21, it tells us that Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, which is on a cross, and be raised the third day. So this, my friends, is how we can know that he is who he says he is. This is how we can know that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is how we know that he has the authority to say that he will build his church and that his church will be unstoppable and that even Satan's power cannot overcome it. It's because Jesus Christ went to the cross as the Son of God. He took the penalty for our sin upon himself, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and was raised again bodily from the grave. And as he rose bodily from the grave, it vanished validated that he is who he says he is and he will do what he said he will do. That's who Jesus is. So the question then as we circle back around to that confrontation as Jesus speaks to our hearts is who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Well, let's just be clear. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus is the master, the Lord, and the king. Jesus is the creator, the sustainer, and our redeemer. Jesus is the word made flesh, the alpha, the omega, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the prince of peace. He's the savior of the world, and he is the lamb of God. And he is my hope and my advocate and my shepherd and brothers and sisters. He is my all. He is the Christ. Amen? Christ, the Son of the living God. So who do you say that he is? He asks you that question. Now, since we're at Discipleship University, you have assignments. Know, be, and do. What do you need to know? Here's what you need to know. You need to know that our God is the living God. Amen? Don't ever let anybody tell you anything any different from that, friends. We know our God is the living God. He is alive and well and working. He is the one, unlike these dead idols, He is the one who lives, who works, who saves, who transforms, and who builds His church. Our God is the living God. Secondly, to be. This morning, be confronted by him. The living God, because he is a God who is alive, has the ability to confront us. He has the ability to speak to us. He has the ability to draw us. He has the ability to convict us and work in our hearts. And so be confronted by him and listen to his question to you. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And how you answer that question 
affects your response to him and how you will live your life as a disciple. Amen? Is he the Lord of your life? Have you taken that step of faith? Have you acknowledged that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Turn from that sin. Turn to Jesus Christ in repentance. Embrace believing with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross, who rose again bodily from the grave, professing him as the Lord of your life, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and it makes a difference in my life. Have you made that step of faith? Be confronted by him. And then here's the do. Do this. Point people to Jesus. Meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Because what a privilege to be used of the Lord as his vessel, as he builds up his church. Amen? Point people to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we pray as we come to this moment of invitation that you would have your way in all of our hearts and lives. Lord, that we would come to a fresh understanding that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We do not serve a God who is on our shelf or on our tables or on the side of a rock wall somewhere. We serve a God who is alive and here and there and everywhere who is all-powerful and all-knowing and ever-present, and who is working and calling and drawing and transforming and building up his church. God, help us to know that and to live that out. Being confronted by you today and doing what you've called us to do as we make that confession, to live it out and profess Jesus as Lord, but point people to you. Lord, may we know of your presence in our midst, calling us to the place where we need to be in our walk with you. If there are those here today, Lord, that need to say, yes, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, I believe, I've never professed it, I've never asked him to come and be the Lord of my life. I pray, Father, you'd work in their hearts and come to speak with Pastor Joe and myself here in just a few moments. Let us pray with them. Also, Father, we pray that you'd be of those of us who trust you as Lord, have already trusted you as Lord. That you use this time, to Lord, to, to speak to our hearts, to confirm what we've been hearing, to, to deal with our lives, to, to lay all of our life before you. Say, Lord, here I am. I surrender my all to you. Maybe there's some who need to answer a call. Maybe some who've been dealing with being convicted by your spirit. Some that you've challenged us to be more like you. And to, but that, Lord, each of us would walk away from here today with a greater passion for Jesus to love you more, to seek to be more like you, with a willingness to point others to you. God, may you have your way in all of our hearts and our lives. We'll praise you for it. And may you have your way in this invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand as we sing. And you come, and feel free to pray with Pastor Joe and myself, or just pray here at the altar. It's open. You come as God has dealt with your heart as we sing together.